Welcome to the Whistleblower Newsroom. I'm Christina Borgeson. The campaign to convince everyone to get vaccinated, get vaccinated, get vaccinated, has turned into a full-on fear and persecution campaign against the unvaccinated, who are being portrayed as irresponsible and deadly to everyone around them. The pressure is on everywhere. It's the jab or no job, the jab or no education, the jab or no access to any number of places. People are encouraged to fear the unvaccinated, to shame them, to yell and scream at them into relenting. One journalist tweeted that he thought they should be sent home with ankle bracelets. Are they right? Do science and statistics support this persecution of the unvaccinated? I decided to ask two honest brokers on the front lines of the COVID issues about this, Dr. Peter McCullough and Dr. Merrill Nass. Dr. Peter McCullough is up first. I'm an internist and cardiologist and academic physician here in Dallas, Texas, and I maintain my board certifications in both specialties. And last year and a half, I've really focused on COVID-19. I basically have done an entire uh, a fellowship self-directed in the topic, including a, a detailed uh, evaluation of reports on early treatment and vaccines and vaccine safety, which is the topic of today. And uh, what we know as we sit here today that the vaccines, and they're different, Pfizer, Moderna, and J&J &J coming out of the registrational trials were different. The, the vaccine efficacies of Pfizer and Moderna were about 90%, but J&J &J was less at 70%. And uh, probably about two-thirds of general medical practices uh, and specialty practices like mine you know, opted for the vaccine, which was fine. We have about 75% or more of seniors in the United States who opted for the vaccine. Um, but what we learned is that there's great concerns regarding vaccine safety as things evolved. Actually, the first safety signal that we had a problem was January 22nd uh, in the data. Now, fast forward all the way uh, to now, what we know, Christina, is that we see evidence of uh, really wholesale vaccine failure across the world. When I mean failure, uh, we know that, for instance, more than 75% of COVID cases that are coming out now in outbreaks in Israel, Singapore, and in Iceland, where they have very good data, are occurring in those who are fully vaccinated. In the United Kingdom, it's roughly 50% of those with the Delta variant, which is the dominant variant. You can expect everything we're talking about today is Delta, which is the dominant variant. 50% of UK cases are either partially or fully vaccinated as according to the UK variant technical briefing as of August 6th. 2020, 2021. I'm being precise with my citations, given the threat of censorship and reprisal that doctors like myself are under. So I'm going to be very pinpoint with the citations. It looks like what we have right now is a situation where our CDC director has come onto the major media in the last few days and said that the Delta variant, in fact, can infect fully vaccinated individuals and they can carry it and pass it to other vaccinated persons and to the unvaccinated. Uh, we have, um, as of May 1st, uh, the CDC had characterized 10,000 fully vaccinated persons who contracted COVID-19 before Delta. We knew that 9% died and 3% were hospitalized. Now, as of July 26th, the CDC has come out with another report. It's on their website, 6,000 patients who are fully vaccinated who are hospitalized in the United States, 6,000 Americans, and 18% of them died. So we're having signals here 
of wholesale vaccine failure. Now, what you're getting to is the talking points, the issued talking points. Now, Americans should know that when they get a COVID-19 test, no one's keeping track of their vaccine card. So everyone who's going for a COVID test today, many people don't even have their vaccine cards, or even if they show up to the hospital, they don't have their vaccine cards. So no one actually in the United States is tracking who's vaccinated or unvaccinated. The CDC said they're giving up on it as of May 1st. So the issued talking points, it looks like, is that, quote, this is a, a crisis of the unvaccinated, end quote, or that 99% of cases are unvaccinated. It's honestly, I think it's an issued talking point and I can't see that it's derived from any data. Well, you have people in the press. Uh, one guy was saying he thought unvaccinated people should be sent home with ankle bracelets, implying that they were the driving force for infection. The fair response to that is the proportion of COVID cases right now, since the vaccines have, have failed, essentially failed against the Delta variant, is the proportion is going to be similar to the proportion of vaccinated people in the population. It won't be disproportionate. So for instance, if 80% of Israelis over age 80 are vaccinated, it'll be 80% of the COVID cases. If it's in Alabama, where there's maybe 70% of people are unvaccinated, 30% vaccinated, you'll, you'll meet that 70-30 split. In my practice here in Dallas, Texas right now, believe me, my phone is popping today with COVID cases. It's roughly 60% unvaccinated, 40% vaccinated. So those proportions will match the proportions in the population since the vaccines essentially don't have any protection against uh, Delta. So basically you're saying whether you're vaccinated or not, you can spread it yeah. and you can get it. Is that what you're saying? Well, our CDC director has told Americans directly that and in a paper by Farron Holt and colleagues from Houston, based on analyzing that Houston wedding, the fully vaccinated wedding where people got COVID, that in fact, fully vaccinated people can acquire and carry and pass the Delta variant to someone else. So vaccinated people can infect other vaccinated people or unvaccinated. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing the Delta outbreak be a little bit more than what we expected. I didn't expect the vaccines to fail in such a wholesale fashion as they have with the Delta variant. I think that's the reason why the outbreak is a bit more even than what I anticipated. Now, this Delta variant, some people have implied that the Delta variant is somehow connected to vaccinated people. Do you have any science on that? Well, there are uh, clearly um, sources of information to suggest that once we start vaccination and we get more than 25% of the population vaccinated, we will allow one of the variants that's in the background to emerge because it's resistant to the vaccine. That makes sense. Just like an antibiotic, once we get to a certain percentage of coverage with an antibiotic, we'll allow a resistant bacteria to move forward. So if we were to go back in time six months ago, we had about 14 strains or more in the United States, and they were all relatively small proportions. We had UK, Brazilian. There was always some Delta, by the way. It was always in the, in the background. Um, and there was a paper by Neeson and colleagues from Boston and Rochester uh, Minnesota, great paper, over a million sequenced uh, samples. And they looked at uh, vaccination rates all over in the variant um, proportions. And they concluded more than 25% of the population vaccinated. In fact, you'll encourage a dominant strain to move forward. So what happened in India is that we heard reports in Mashtara, one of the states in India, they had started using the Sinovac vaccine in certain pockets. And they may have hit certain pockets where they had more than 25% vaccinated. You know, India is quite a diverse country. And that's probably enough 
in order to have the Delta variant become the dominant strain. It just so happens it looks like the, the, the Delta variant can easily get past Pfizer and Moderna. We don't know about AstraZeneca or J&J. Um, but, but so we've, in a sense, created now a super dominant strain, or we've encouraged a super dominant strain. Unfortunately, Delta is milder. In the UK technical briefing report, August 6th, the mortality rate with Delta is far less than that with the UK variant or the other variants. So, you know, we're kind of lucky that we have this dominant strain that's so mild. Um, but, but it is, I think the reason why Delta is a big deal and our phones are ringing off the hook is because the vaccinated are in a sense participating in this outbreak. Well, also um, there were press reports when the Delta variant, uh, uh, variant first emerged, there were press reports about how this was a very deadly variant. I mean, I distinctly remember seeing press reports about that. Well, you know, I saw it too. And actually those reports came out of India at first, and I ended up doing some interviews with some people in India to figure out what's going on. And there's always, in the middle of these uh, outbreaks at first, there's always great confusion about what's going on. And anything can become deadly when resources are uh, overextended. And in fact, that's uh, probably what happened in some pockets of India. But as things have settled out, what we've learned is the most important factor on whether or not something is deadly is if they get early treatment. So unless we actually have reports on who's treated with what, we can't determine which is the more deadly uh, variant or not. In general, in the UK, which they don't offer much in the way of treatment there, those who are sick enough to be seen in the ER in the UK system, as of the August 6th variant technical briefing, briefing number 20, the mortality of Delta is far less than all the other variants. It's the least lethal. Now, of those who died, which is way less than 1%, of those who died, 65% were fully vaccinated. If you had COVID and you got over it without being vaccinated, you just let your own immune system take over. How many of those people do they know? Is there any information on how many of those people have been reinfected or come down with uh, been infected by the Delta variant? If we take the group of people who have fully documented cases where they were sick and they had PCR antigen testing at the time and they had COVID-19, to my knowledge, there has never been a second case of somebody fully, the same person, more than 90 days apart, fully infected again, fully sick again, where we have confirmatory testing, PCR antigen sequencing. It's actually never happened, okay? Uh, I mentioned in the CDC had 10,000 vaccine failures fully documented, well-documented cases that got pushed forward to them from the Departments of Community Health uh, up to May 1st. During that time period, the CDC reported zero failures of fully well-documented natural immunity. Now, a paper by Kavanaugh and colleagues that has just come out in the MMWR August 6th issue, uh, uh, the CDC publication, they have found 246 cases out of 500,000 in Kentucky where individuals have tested positive on two or more occasions, okay? And, and, uh, but without reporting any illness on either one of those occasions. So I don't think they are bona fide reinfections. And they concluded that maybe the rates of testing positive on two or more occasions was less among those vaccinated. But the CDC is telling people who get the vaccine not to go get additional tests. So I think the Kavanaugh paper is just before- Why are they doing that? Because they're trying to discourage individuals from, in a sense, coming forward with vaccine failures 
through there, and they're trying to reduce testing, which which I'm not against, by the way. I think we've done way too much testing. But the point is, I think the Kavanaugh paper is just re reflecting CDC guidance. It's not reflecting natural history. Now, if you ask the question more broadly, what is the evidence at all for reinfection after natural immunity? There's an analysis by Mertu and colleagues, 615,000 people across 11 studies, even poorly defined cases where we weren't really sick, but maybe had some antibodies later on. The chances of getting COVID again are way less than 1%. Similar study from Denmark, even ambient antibodies being positive now and again, way less than 1%. What, what Americans need to know is that if, if one has had COVID-19, that the immunity is robust, complete, and durable. It cannot be improved upon uh, by uh, vaccination. And, it, and vaccination is far inferior to natural immunity. In fact, I was on national TV this week where there was a media doctor on another station who was saying that all the evidence, his, his quote was, all the evidence points that the vaccine immunity is better than natural immunity. And there isn't a single shred of evidence that's the case. In fact, it's the reverse. Just like with chickenpox, it's one and done. Uh, even grandmothers should know that COVID-19 swept through the nursing homes in America. It's done. Um, people are not getting it over and over again. Someone can intermittently test positive for it for months afterwards. In fact, my health system, uh, as a, an employment policy, doesn't even require uh, testing before one returns to work after COVID-19. And I know because I had it last fall and I, I called employee health. I said, what should I do? Should I get a test before she comes back? And she goes, are you kidding? As long as you don't have a fever and your symptoms are reasonable, you can come back. Um, and I said, well, geez, no testing? She goes, oh, no, those things, those tests stay positive for months. If we did that, we'd never have any nurses coming back. So I can tell you that this idea that there's reinfection is not supportable. The natural, natural infection is robust, complete, and durable. You know, I could have a patient with Delta cough right in my face. I couldn't get it. And in fact, the Cleveland Clinic study the Cleveland Clinic study looked at naturally immune individuals who went back into the workplace and they were exposed to COVID-19 patients, about a 5% background rate of COVID-19 in individuals in the community, no cases, zero. So natural immunity is robust and under no circumstances should one have to take a vaccine. Okay, so the people who have taken vaccines and who are now getting reinfected, um, should those now they're talking about boosters bringing boosters online and so on now should they be taking boosters or should they just let their own natural immune system deal with anything that comes after the the vaccines have worn off i mean well let me address some segments here so we know that probably about 25 percent of those who took the vaccine had already had COVID. And so they kind of ill-advised, just took the vaccine anyway. Those individuals, even though their vaccine immunity has failed, their natural immunity is fine. So they definitely don't need a booster. So for the patients who've taken the vaccine and the vaccine has failed and they've gotten COVID-19, now they are going to have natural immunity. They don't need a booster. So you're really down to those who took the vaccine, never had COVID before, didn't get COVID, should they get a booster? And I think the answer is it depends on the booster. Right now in Israel, the booster is just another shot of Pfizer. Well, Pfizer is completely failing in Israel because the vaccines no longer contain the, 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 the antibodies from the vaccine don't contain the Delta. There's no sense in kind of, in a sense, juicing the system with another vaccine that doesn't cover the Delta. Even in flu, in the flu, we have something called antigenic drift, which is much more... Um, 
much more slow. And even in the flu, we always adjust the flu shot once in a season to what we think is going to happen. Here, there hasn't been any adjustment yet. The only thing that's proposed, and um, Scott Gottlieb, who's a former chairman of the FDA and is now um, on the Pfizer board, so he's financially uh, tied to Pfizer, even he said that the plan for Pfizer is just more of the same. So it's going to be more of the same vaccine that, that basically is failing right now. So to, to me, I don't think it's supportable. Okay, so I, I still want to get back to the spreading of COVID and this demonization of, of the unvaccinated. Previously, you basically said both unvaccinated and vaccinated people are spreading the, the are continuing to spread the disease. Okay, so now let's talk about early treatment and so on that is still being um, that is still being censored. Um, so let's say in a perfect world, it became uh, U.S. policy and global policy that you know the prophylactic treatment, early treatment, treatment in hospital, like the Math Plus that uh, the FLCC. Uh, has, you know, the plans that they have for these various phases. If that were to become global policy, so instead of people going to get vaccines, they did this, would that eradicate COVID? No, it wouldn't eradicate COVID, but it would create the same uh, pattern that we've seen in India, Mexico City, Peru, and others. We would crush the curve. So if we had an immediate shift to early treatment, Early treatment reduces the spread per individual from 14 days to four days. And so and it markedly drops risk of hospitalization and death. So early treatment is, I mean, that's what kicked in in the end of uh, December, early January in the United States. We crushed our curve. Same thing that happened in, in Mexico uh, City. Same thing that happened in uh, India. So we would crush the curve, but we're not going to get to zero cases. That's a fool's errand because this is a respiratory virus. It's a version of the common cold. The average person gets four colds a year. It's going to pass around. It passes around in the vaccinated or unvaccinated. There's no difference now. So I think we should just treat high-risk people. We have 500 million doses of these monoclonal antibodies. I don't want to see a single high-risk senior suffer at home. There should be phone calls. All the doctors should be activated. Our CDC and FDA should be having 1-800 hotlines up on TV four or five times a day telling seniors where they can get these monoclonal antibodies. President Trump got that. Get an infusion of monoclonal antibodies, go home, and start the other sequence of drugs. The, um, the Math Plus and the FLCC protocols are less intense protocols for less sick people, the protocols that I've published in the American Journal of Medicine and Reviews in Cardiovascular Medicine, because I'm a specialist in cardiology, are for the sicker patients called sequence multidrug therapy for seniors. They shouldn't rely on math plus to these kind of less intense protocols. I mean, patients really do need the big time drugs, including the monoclonal antibodies that we move into sequencing with hydroxychloroquine supported by 200 studies, ivermectin supported by 60 studies, doxycycline and zithromycin, uh, prednisone supported by meta-analysis of over a dozen studies, inhaled budesonide supported by two randomized trials, colchicine supported by very large randomized trial, 4,000 patients uh, placebo controlled, and then very importantly, full dose adult aspirin, and then anticoagulants, injectable lovenox, full dose. So, you know, that's a much more intense protocol than, than others, but our seniors need that. I've treated patients up into their 90s successfully, and we can avoid hospitalization and death. Could you send me the link to that, please? 
Yeah, the best place to go now is Truth for Health Foundation. Truth for Health Foundation has the most updated protocols. Uh, there are now lists of treating doctors. The other groups are terrific. So as you mentioned, Frontline Critical Care Consortium, FLCC, uh, in their protocols, Math Plus and IMath. And then there's uh, the American Frontline Doctors, AFLDS. These are the major early treatment groups. Uh, none of the current um, other societies, so the Infectious Disease Society of America and National Institutes of Health, they actually have nothing for outpatients right now. Neither does the AMA or the American College of Physicians or the American College of Chest Physicians. All the other major groups have been solely focused on inpatients. So the ads every day, every day the ads on TV are get the vaccine, get the vaccine, get the vaccine. So if you were the health czar of the country, what would you replace those ads with? I'd replace them with uh, risk gratification if over age 50, multiple medical problems or younger than age 50 presenting with uh, severe symptoms, get early treatment. We would have an emergency pivot to early treatment. We'd have 1-800 hotlines uh, to all the early treatment centers, to the telemedicine services, uh, wide open access to the monoclonal antibodies for those who meet the criteria. And I wouldn't restrict the monoclonal antibodies to just outpatient. You know, I had a patient the other day, it was so frustrating. She was sick. She went to the hospital. I wanted to get the monoclonal antibodies, but as soon as they admitted her, they said, oh, now she's admitted. She's no longer eligible for the antibodies. I go, wait a minute, she's sitting in the same room in the ER. Why was she eligible five minutes ago and now she's not eligible now? So I'd get rid of all these ridiculous barriers. I would allow the full treatment of patients. And then we would basically uh, close out this pandemic. With respect to the vaccines, um, at this point in time, the vaccine program, I don't think anybody had a problem with it. I didn't back when it was elective. And I people remember that. Their own, own choice. I mean, um, right now I've got great concerns regarding safety. I mean, I personally wouldn't advise my family or anyone else to get it because, you know, as we sit here today, we have 545,000 CDC documented vaccine injuries. We have over 200,000 deaths, hospitalizations, emergency visits, or office visits after the vaccine. That's It's grossly unsafe. We've administered 168 million uh, patients have gotten the vaccine. Do you know every year we vaccinate uh, basically about 285 million Americans or million shots given, and we don't have rates like that. I mean, so these vaccines are off the chart in terms of injuries to Americans. Um, some just think we ought to just pull them off the market altogether. You know, there could be a nursing home worker or someone comes into the system and needs a vaccine, but um, uh, all the mandates should be dropped immediately because there's so much tension right now. Americans know the vaccines don't work fully and they know they're not safe. Um, and, and many honestly are ready to walk off the job right now because they don't want to be injured with the vaccine. They certainly don't want to lose their life um, taking a vaccine that doesn't work. Well, Fauci is talking about having these vaccines FDA approved. You know, that could be a, a good thing or a bad thing. If they're FDA approved, the FDA will have to approve a label or a package insert. And the package insert will have to have a what's called ISI, important safety information. And, and the package insert is a legal document. What the FDA and CDC has not done is they have not given the United States weekly pr uh, press briefings on vaccine safety. They haven't even given monthly press briefings. Matter of fact, they haven't even given a single briefing to Americans on safety. It should be safety first. And they should be telling Americans who's having problems with the vaccine, who isn't, uh, where are these deaths coming from, uh, uh, where are the hospitalizations coming from, what is causing so many Americans to be hospitalized after they get the vaccine. So the CDC and FDA should have been presenting that to us every week. 
We should have had critical event committees, data safety monitoring boards, human ethics committees. Should have been a ton of teamwork on this vaccine program. We, Americans haven't seen that. So if this comes all the way to full FDA approval, there'll have to be some uh, uh, a package insert created, which is going to be uh, uh, something that'll draw a lot of critical attention. Can you imagine a package insert that, that lists 545,000 injuries? How are they going to put that into tables? But are they going to do that? Maybe well, here's the just... thing. If they don't, and the CDC and FDA are sponsors of the research program. So right now, vaccines are under research. They're investigational. The CDC and the FDA are the sponsors of the research. If they don't put the safety information in the tables, and if Americans can't see that, then the package insert then becomes a point of, of something that's, that, that's, in a sense, illegal. It's, 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 it's illegal with respect to regulatory laws. And so this has happened before. Products are sued off the market because they're not safe. Okay. Is there anything else that I should ask you about, about this whole uh, vac unvaccinated people are dangerous and uh, complete <laughs> blind, you know, blindness to uh, vaccinated people are also getting COVID and spreading COVID? No person is more dangerous than another. It looks like, and even the CDC is telling Americans that the vaccine um, uh, it can be contracted and carried to others. Um, the general message of take the vaccine, that it's safe and effective, that general message is a talking point. It does, it's not anchored uh, in anything. And um, what my patients are asking me and what Americans are asking overall is, doctor, at this point in time, which vaccine, Pfizer, Moderna, J&J, &J, which one is the safest? The CDC and FDA should be telling Americans on this. And which one is holding out the best? Which one is effective? Americans need to make a choice. They are being asked now by employers to participate in research. The, the, the consent form says that this is investigational and it's optional. But now people feel in order to keep their jobs that they need to take one of these optional vaccines. They want to know which one. And uh, if the CDC and FDA shouldn't do it, then maybe the employers should do it. But Americans need to make a choice when they take the needle. Well, most feel uncomfortable without with with being blindsided on information and with this complete lack of transparency. Most people say, listen, I don't feel comfortable, period. Well, you, you know, you say that this take the vaccine thing is a talking point, but it's more than a talking point, isn't it? I mean, it's it's inviting people to suffer death, dangerous uh you know, dangerous side effects, and also to get COVID again and to spread COVID. So uh, it's more than a talking point, isn't it? And what is that? And why is it that the CDC is not paying attention to frontline doctors treating COVID patients successfully like you and the others? Well, you know, we're the one picking up the burden right now. The, you know, the CDC and FDA and NIH, they don't treat patients, so they don't have any fiduciary responsibility. And in many ways, they probably look to us to provide the answers, and we did. And we did respond, and we provide the answers, and so they're not opining on treatment. But what the CDC and, and NIH and FDA did is they worked with two administrations now on Operation Warp Speed. They produced some products. One set of products is the monoclonal antibodies. We had Lilly. Regeneron and GlaxoSmithKline. Lilly is out. It no longer covers it. So Lilly's out, but we still have Regeneron, which is widely commercially available and fine. They also, Operation Warp Speed also produced the vaccines. But the vaccines right now 
we have evidence outside the United States that they are in free fall. They're grossly failing, okay? And they're failing at least for a large fraction. In the United States, because when people get COVID tests, no one is writing down the vaccine card. No one is actually integrating COVID positive tests and vaccination in the United States. We don't have the critical information that we need. We actually don't know the proportions of patients who are getting sick with COVID-19 who've been vaccinated or not. There is a general talking point where it says crisis of the unvaccinated, 99% unvaccinated. If you ever notice 99%, how could you get to that number? It's because we don't know. And so when, when the CDC announced- Well, that's not a talking point then. That's, that's a lie because they don't well, know. It's just the CDC, this is all in the open, Christina. It's in the open. The CDC said May 1st, we are not tracking COVID-19 in patients who have been vaccinated. It's in the open. The CDC told vaccinated people don't get tested anymore. This is in the open. This is this isn't. But why are they saying? Why are they doing? You're going to have to ask them that. I think they're doing a disservice to these patients who've been vaccinated who are getting sick with COVID. The CDC told us on July 26 they had 6,000 cases vaccinated in the hospital and 18% died. What do they have to say to those patients? who've been fully vaccinated and they've lost their lives. So, so they, they got those numbers and then they stopped counting? Up to May 1st, they took spontaneous reports coming from departments of community health. And um, um, again, because they don't have a reconciliation of the test positive cases and those who are vaccination status, even though those data sources exist, they haven't integrated them. So it's simply on a manual basis did they take these departments of community health? Americans know when you get tested positive for COVID-19, someone could call you from the Department of Community Health. And if you have a phone call and you exchange information, they can figure out if you're vaccinated. Those cases came to the CDC through the spring. They got to 10,000 and they reported it on their website. May 1st, they said, listen, we got 10,000 cases of breakthrough. 9% were hospitalized, 3% died. We're no longer gonna track patients in the community who are vaccinated and develop COVID-19. The CDC said, we're out of that. Now, subsequently, July 26, the CDC said, well, here we go. Now we have hospitalized cases. We, we agreed that we would report vaccine failures in the hospital. We've got 6,000 of them, 18% died. So that's what we know on the CDC website. This is not misinformation. This is not my opinion. I'm giving the audience information. Remember, my license is at stake. The Federation of State yes. Medical Board said I could lose my license if I give misinformation. So I am being pinpoint in these citations because I'm going to be able to go back and show where this has been documented by the CDC. My next guest, Dr. Merrill Nass, is a board-certified internist with special interest in vaccine-induced illnesses, chronic fatigue syndrome, Gulf War illness, fibromyalgia, and toxicology. As a biological warfare epidemiologist, she investigated the world's largest epizootic anthrax outbreak in Zimbabwe and developed a model for analyzing epidemics to assess whether they are natural or man-made. So Meryl, I'm trying to get to the bottom of, we're being told over and over that the unvaccinated are very dangerous to the general population. So I want to know what the rationale is behind, you know, the, this is an official, this is sort of an official position that is being, um, that is also being, um, you know, in the press, it's being promoted as, you know, the unvaccinated. I mean, I had, I, I read one tweet where a journalist I've known for a very long time shockingly said, 
all unvaccinated people should be uh, sent home and have ankle bracelets put on put on them because they're so dangerous. So are they more dangerous than the vaccinated? What what is the science? Okay, Um, I believe what they're admitting in most countries now and what has been admitted occasionally in this country by by Rochelle Walensky, the director of the CDC, for instance, is that the vaccine doesn't prevent these vaccines that are the three that are available do not prevent transmission. Okay, what that really means is that you, you can get the disease if you're vaccinated. Now, it's being blamed on the Delta strain, but it, it may be that you can get any variant if you've been vaccinated, because in Israel, whatever protection the vaccine was giving at first seems to have mostly worn off. So the Minister of Health in Israel has said the vaccine there, they only got Pfizer. The Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine is, a, she said two weeks ago, 40% effective. Okay, so that means 60% of people who were vaccinated don't have protection. Also in Israel, the Ministry of Health has been posting uh, on Friday weekly the number of people in hospital, the number of people with severe COVID, and the number of new diagnoses. And so it looks as if the people, about last week, two thirds of people in the hospital for COVID were vaccinated, and one third were not. Okay. And we think about 80% of adults were vaccinated in Israel, something like that. So there may be a, just a tiny modicum of protection after, after you know, four to six months. I'm sorry about that. Um, apologies. Anyway, there may be a minimal amount of protection, but there's not much in terms of preventing severity. So the, vac- so the vaccine is not stopping you from getting the disease. The vaccine is not stopping you from having a severe case of the disease, at least in Israel. The proportions are similar. Maybe it protects a tiny bit, but not much. Two thirds of the people in the hospital with severe COVID are vaccinated in Israel. Okay, so if you can get the disease, you can get very sick with it and you can transmit it. um, You're not. The the vaccine doesn't give you anything, okay? You get no protection and there's no difference between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. The vaccinated can transmit the Delta variant as well as the unvaccinated. So all of this nonsense about how unvaccinated people are a threat is, is is an utter lie, okay? Now, Is this variant specific? We don't know because 90% of the cases in the United States now are the Delta variant. 90% in the UK recently have been Delta variant um, and in Israel, the majority. So it doesn't seem to be, there doesn't seem to be a shred of truth in that statement, at least as far as the Delta variant goes. So what we're dealing with right now is people who are approximate on average about five months vaccinated in the United States. In Israel, they're dealing with about six months vaccinated. And in Israel, two thirds of the people in the hospital were vaccinated. In other words, it did not prevent those people from catching COVID and it didn't prevent them this is even more important, from getting a severe case of COVID. They were sick enough to need to to be hospitalized. 
Um, in the United States, we don't have those kinds of data, so I can't tell you that the numbers are the same. Um, but, uh, but the CDC made an attempt to, to minimize breakthrough cases, cases of COVID in vaccinated people in the United States on May 1st by saying they would only count cases if they were hospitalized or if they died. And in addition, if they had a very high titer on their PCR test with a, something called a cycle threshold under 28. When, in fact, the, for, to diagnose a case of COVID, you can have a cycle threshold as high as 45, which is a much, much lower uh, level of, of COVID in your um, sputum or, or nasal passages. So what that means is we don't, we, the CDC made sure to make it impossible to get good data from the United States. But in Israel, what we're finding is most of the people sick with COVID are vaccinated. Okay, but so then then these people saying that the, um, the, the great lepers, COVID lepers, uh, the unvaccinated, what if they say to you, well, yeah, they got, they got the COVID from these unvaccinated people. They were, uh, they were uh, infected by unvaccinated people. Well, it seems because if, if everybody were vaccinated, right. they wouldn't be giving each other COVID. No, but the vaccinate the director of CDC has said that even the vaccinated are spreading this, that the vaccine is not preventing transmission. So you can just as easily get it from a vaccinated person as from an unvaccinated. So everything that's said about the you know unvaccinated being the lepers, being the spreaders of illness, is completely untrue. Whether that only stands for Delta, because Delta is 90% of, of the variants in the United States now and in most of the developed world, I can't tell you. I can't guarantee that the next variant we're going to have is going to act the same. But this variant is extremely transmissible from both the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And the only way you can protect yourself is by taking medications, okay? If you get the disease, Early, you take ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, you take supplements, you take an aspirin a day, and that will protect you. If you let this disease go, whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, you may get a very severe disease. So let's talk about the Delta variant. Um, Didier Raoul, Dr. Didier Raoul, I'm sure you've heard of him in France, who has been treating literally thousands of COVID patients and who is part of this research hospital and has kept very good records of his own uh, patient base. He said that he's noticed something very interesting, which unlike, because COVID is, you know, a variant of the flu, basically, or a type of flu. And he was saying, unlike other flus, uh, COVID has created variants in exponentially record time. In other words, flu variants once a year, maybe you get, you know, you get a variant. But in this case, you've had two or three variants, right? Uh, in the span of, you know, in a, in a much shorter span. And so I guess it raises the question of whether the vaccines themselves are inspiring or somehow triggering the variant uh, 
Right. So th this is that's certainly something that can happen. Just like antibiotic um, resistance is a function of using the antibiotics and the, the bacteria are still growing in your body. And those that develop a mutation that happens to be resistant are the ones that, that are going to out, you know, outlive the others. And that's how you develop antibiotic resistance. The same thing happens with vaccines. There are, there has been, I mean, there's a lot of vaccine resistance out there. The, the pertussis, most of the pertussis cases in the United States today are, are vaccine resistant because strains of pertussis have developed to get around the vaccine protection. Um, it's, it's happened for other vaccines also. So yes, it may well be the problem. The, 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 the use of a vaccine can push mutations, that that may be a problem. It may not be a problem. Another thing the, the use of the vaccine can do potentially is cause this thing called ADE. It has many names. It has many forms, but antibody dependent enhancement. It means that the disease, if you've been vaccinated and then you are later exposed to the disease, you may actually have a worse case of the disease than if you had never been vaccinated. All right. Why? And well, that's because you have produced certain antibodies that instead of enhancing the immune response are blocking part of the immune response. And so that is something that, that experts are talking about now in terms of what's going on with Delta you know, and the vaccine. Is that why vaccinated people have such high titers in, in their noses? We don't know that answer yet. So I'm, I'm just putting it out there as a possibility, just as the, the fact that you have vaccines may trigger uh, vaccine resistant mutations, but whether they actually take over, whether they are clinically become an important, you know, aspect of this whole pandemic is unclear yet so far. So I'm hearing in the press, um, well, uh, people who have been vaccinated um, have a far better time of it dealing with Delta vaccine. They have a far lighter case of, De of COVID right. than the unvaccinated. Is that correct? So um, this is what th this is what uh, Rochelle Walensky and Fauci have been saying lately, and there isn't evidence to support it. And then there are two reasons why. So one is Israel, where two thirds of the people in the hospital with severe COVID were vaccinated. One third were unvaccinated, and about eighty, certainly eighty to ninety percent of the of elderly over sixty fives in Israel are vaccinated. Since they haven't given us an age distribution of the people in the hospital, we can't say whether um, these elderly are more susceptible as a result of their vaccination, less susceptible, the same susceptible. But because two thirds of the people there in the hospital with COVID are vaccinated, there's proof that it doesn't prevent severe infections Well, okay, being vaccinated. It also seems to, and tell me if I'm overreaching here in the logic department, but it also seems to point to vaccinated, vaccinated people are getting reinfected in larger numbers than unvaccinated people. Is that what it looks See, like? We don't, we, so that I don't know. Um, so what I tried to explain before is that the CDC, by refusing to collect cases of COVID in vaccinated people, unless they met these very stringent criteria, they had to be dead, hospitalized, and in addition, have a very, very high nasal titer. 
Okay, if you didn't meet those criteria, you didn't get counted. So therefore, we have no way of knowing how many vaccinated cases there are and how severe they are because CDC isn't counting them. Some of the states are counting them. So how's that going? Well, so the CDC actually did have to report on uh, an outbreak in Barnstable County in, in Massachusetts, where the vast majority of people who, who came down with COVID um, were vaccinated. And CDC grouped the people who had had one and not two vaccinations and the people who are unvaccinated and those for whom they didn't know whether they were vaccinated or not, they grouped them together and they still found that 75% of cases were in the vaccinated. So what does that tell you? Well, it tells you that CDC is doing its best to, to play with the numbers to make it seem as favorable as possible and they couldn't get it any better than 75% of those cases were vaccinated. But that's might have been a, 85, it might have well, been 90%. But that's, that's the vast majority. Yes, in, in, yes, exactly. On the Cape in Massachusetts. So, so we've got Fauci now saying, oh, you know, uh, we, you know, we're thinking that we're the FDA. It's almost like he's telegraphing to the FDA. You've got to approve these vaccines. You know, because, right. you know, oh, we're, you know, we're expecting the FDA to approve these vaccines. But with these numbers, are the is are those approvals legitimate? I mean, are they valid? Is that a good idea? Uh, of course not. I mean, the vaccines are not safe. And they're if they only work for a few months, they're not very effective. And nobody has looked to see how safe they are if you have to give a booster every six months. Um so of course they, they shouldn't be licensed, but the FDA, as we know, is a political animal. It, it takes orders from the White House. And so the FDA will probably do whatever it's told. There is no commissioner. There's no FDA commissioner. They have an acting commissioner now who has already gotten in trouble several times for approving drugs uh, and making deals that, that were not right. And in fact, three people from one of her advisory committees quit a month ago because of that. Wait a second, Meryl. So hold up. Here. They, basically, they have a crook running the FDA. They have no commissioner. They have an acting deputy commissioner who has been tarred with um, non-scientific political you know, decisions to the point that her own advisory group has three members publicly quit a month ago because she approved a drug for Alzheimer's that doesn't work, is dangerous, and costs $60,000 a year. So, who, so who's setting national policy for That's how to question. deal with, how, for how to deal with COVID? Who is setting national policy? I mean, Biden obviously can't. Fauci may well be. Fauci, of course, is, is, you know, is one of the people who may have brought this pandemic to us by paying for research in Wuhan. So if Fauci brought us the pandemic and is now giving us all these bad solutions that don't work to deal with it, that may be part of some you know, plan that he has. We don't know where he gets his orders from. But it's it seems like the the you know the the crazy people are running the asylum in the United States. There is nothing 
logical or scientific about any of the, the pandemic medical policies that have been instituted until now. And this vaccine, you know, because it's potent, it can, you know, you can die from myocarditis, from anaphylaxis, from Guillain-Barre syndrome, all of which are caused by this vaccine at relatively high rates. You know, they, they shouldn't make you take something that hardly works at all. Um, but as I said, the, the inmates are running the asylum. Well, it does make sense if you're saying people have to get boosted every six months. It certainly makes sense money-wise for the manufacturers of uh, the vaccine right. and anyone who benefits from having stock or getting paid off for helping create policies or whatever that push sure. these vaccines. Absolutely. So, so Pfizer has announced it may, it's making $33 billion this year from the vaccine. Um, BioNTech is making more. Moderna said they were making $20 billion this year. And, and then there's this huge industry of vaccine passports because they're not going to be just vaccine passports. They're going to be financial applications, health applications, you know, all of our data will probably go online. You can't have a health pass. The health passports are being sponsored by Microsoft, other, you know, large companies without, you don't need a health passport unless you have to give boosters all the time, right? Unless you have something right. to keep track of, you don't need that the health monitor. So um, the boosters and the vaccinations are required for the passport and the passport, you know, could be even a bigger moneymaker than the vaccines. You know, I saw uh, Trudeau, um, you know, Canada's head of state, talking about how he was making a deal uh, with Pfizer uh, for, I think, the next year, $60 million worth of, uh, of uh, additional shots and the following year, 60 million. And I just thought to myself, something is very strange. Right. So it's very strange. So the US has- unless, he, um, unless he's making money and Pfizer's making money, uh, you know, I don't see how in all conscience this man as head of state when when the vaccines are clearly failing, why he would take taxpayer money and spend and 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 commit one hundred and twenty uh, million dollars to these vaccines for the coming years. Right. Well, um, obviously, he's either been threatened or bribed. Um, we don't know which. But Europe has made contracts for eight or nine doses per person, and so has the United States. And this started under Trump, eight or nine doses per person. I yes. didn't know that. Are you kidding? I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. No wonder they're going after the the unvaxxed so assiduously. If this yeah. thing fails because people refuse to be vaccinated, my God. Right. The money right. that is yeah. going to be lost. billion a year or maybe more. Um, what else was I going to say? Oh, yes. And Pfizer now admits that the vaccines aren't going to be enough. And they are in phase two trials of a drug 
for COVID. And now Fauci is all over looking for a drug as if we didn't already have drugs. We have ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, right? But they're not patentable. Fauci's favorite drug, remdesivir, that doesn't work and is dangerous, costs 3000 to the hospital to buy, has to be injected. The other drugs that are used are monoclonal antibodies, also cost several thousand dollars, have to be given very early. Um, and so what Pfizer and the rest are looking for is more drugs that are th several thousand dollars a dose a per person, right? And that'll make even much more money than the vaccines can make. So this is so disturbing. I, Meryl, um, how, how do the scientists and the doctors who have have the you know rubber meets the road data? Um, they're not obviously you're being ignored. No, you're not being listened to. They're they're on TV. By the way, I asked this to Peter McCullough, and I want to ask you this. You know, on you watch TV, and it's like, get vaccinated. They have the stars. You need to get vaccinated. They have all kinds of, please get vaccinated. Have you been vaccinated? Facebook, you know, put a little thing around your, your uh, you know, saying that you're, you've been vaccinated, you know, uh, around your avatar. If you, if you were writing, if you were able to replace those ads with your own ads, what would your ads say? What would you exhort people to do? I heard a lecture by a pathologist, Ryan Cole, the other day, and he called it the clot shot. He showed slides of damage, tissue damage in organs from the vaccine. He explained, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> he explained to people that um, the, the spike protein itself, the main, um, the object of the vaccine is to help your body make spike protein. And that is toxic. And that causes blood clots, the spike itself. So what you're trying to get the body to make is, a, is basically a poison. And so I would say, you know, the vaccine is poison, stand your ground. It is still experimental, even though people are telling you from every which way that they have the right to mandate it. Legally, they do not. No case has stood up where it was mandated. They've backed down. They cannot mandate it legally, but, but we have to, actually I'm wrong. It, what, it, there was a case, but it's been, a, it's appeal. There've been a couple of cases. They're both on appeal. Um, I, but I believe from my experience with the anthrax vaccine that, uh, you know, our judge in, in district court, uh, Emmett Sullivan, said you cannot um, mandate a, an experimental vaccine. You cannot ask people to be guinea pigs. In the United States, because of the Nuremberg Code and other federal laws, you can't force a person to be in an experiment. These are experimental vaccines. Yeah, but they are. They are. They're they're using they're they're using these ads. They're exactly. using they're trying to fool everyone. These Christina, they're 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 doing their best to th this is a psychological operation. Okay. The government and certain industries are making a lot of money. There, there, there are other reasons probably why this is happening. It's it's it is a conspiracy. And, you know, they're doing their best to fool everyone. They have, 
in, in the UK, it was published in the newspapers that they have a group working for the government of um, psychologists trying to figure out what sort of propaganda to, to issue to the public to make them behave in, in the ways they, that are wanted, desirable during the pandemic. So they, they have a psychological operations group and it comes up with all this propaganda and it's made all these ads and the majority of the people understandably have been fooled by this. But all I can say is there are some people and, and doctors, you know, there are not that many doctors speaking out because most of them that did lost their jobs. Um, but and the ones who did me, well, I have my own office. Nobody can fire me. I can speak out any way I want. And there are a few like that. You know, Ryan Cole is one. He has his own business. Um, but but for everyone else, it's, it's a very hard time. And the doctors have also been forced to get these vaccines. Uh, but, you know, the only way we're, we're going to solve this situation is if people start realizing that the law, it has to end somewhere. You have to say no. You know, they've closed down businesses. They've put a lot well, of they're driving people out of schools. Right. Your child has lost a year of school. They're driving them out of their job. A lot of people are in debt. And now they want to stick needles into you with God knows what new messenger RNA vaccine never been used in humans before, except as an experiment. Um, When are you going to say no? When are you going to say enough is enough? Once people do that, this will end and we'll get back to normal. And then we can get the medicines we need to treat this. If you treat it early, it's no worse than a flu. If you let it go until you've got this tremendous um, immune stimulation, uh, overactivity of the immune system, then it can become a fatal illness.